Well, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Connie. <laughs> Welcome. Man, beautiful job. Can we give them a hand again? Graceland chimed in on that cello on one of those songs, and I thought, oh my goodness, that was so good. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Stacy, thank you. Rick, Buffy, that was beautiful worship. Come on. Y'all thought you came to church for you, didn't you? You don't come to church for you. You don't. I'm telling you, you don't even come to church to get in a small group or to serve or see you. No, no, no. You come to church to praise him. Like we come together as a body to lift up the name of Jesus. And that's, that's what we're doing. And that's even if you're here today and you go, man, worship was a little long. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what you're going to be doing in heaven? <laughs> Have you ever read the end of the book? Like 24 hours a day. Holy, holy, holy. There is something about worship that engages the heart at a deep, deep level. And if you're sitting here going, man, this guy's crazy. Well, this church is, this is, this, I don't know. Here's what I want to invite you to do. As you leave here, take a step and begin to meet God in that area of worship. Because he'll change something in your heart and in your life. Yeah? Okay, we are in um, Exodus 4. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, I don't know. I don't see Mike in the back of the room. I saw, jo oh, there's Mike. I saw a couple of moms, and I know that our um, infant toddler room is not yet open. Could we just unlock that just so if anyone needs it? No, we can't. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Mike goes, no. <laughs> thank you. I'm like, oh, okay, we can't. Um, be free. I saw a couple of little infants. Our room is supposed to be open next week. If you've got a little fussy uh, infant, no problem. We're a family church. It's no big deal. Invite, we invite your little infant to be with us, but if you need to slip into that room, it's at least unlocked now. Yeah? Okay, come on. All right, we are in Exodus 4. Um, take your Bible. I'm a paper Bible fan. I'm going to keep telling you that until I see paper Bibles walking in here, and here's why. The Word of God is life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was? It is life. If you don't have a paper Bible, no condemnation. There's one out on that table, or you can open up your phone and you can scroll. Yeah? Okay, so we are in Exodus 4. Um, this is a terribly difficult passage. It is, a, uh, it is just full. In fact, uh, Rick emailed me before the service and was like, oh my goodness, are you just going to skip that? But here's the thing, there is something so powerful in this, so uh, we are going to jump into the deep end t t tonight, today, whatever this is, this morning, okay? So um, Abby and I have a, a three-year-old named Amelia, this is my Abby over here, we were sitting on opposite sides today for some reason, but this is my Abby, we have a three-year-old, um, and Abby says, I'm going to sign Amelia up for swim lessons at UNCW. I said, great, didn't think much of it. She said, well, it's a little bit rigorous, Okay. I still didn't think a whole lot of it. She said, well, it's a lot rigorous. I, okay. And then she sent me the video of the first day. Here's what it looked like. And I went, <gasps> I'm so glad I wasn't there. They, they took Amelia and they threw her in the deep end, literally. And she hated it for three or four days. And then she went for a total of two weeks. And guess what? She can swim. Like, she can swim. So she still wears her little swimmies, but then she's like, Daddy, I want to take them off. And she's swimming back and forth in the deep end at our pool. It's amazing. So here's the, here's the point. Sometimes, 
you got to go into the deep end. What'd you say? Throw it. So we are, we are jumping in the deep end. If you are new to church, if you are new to like reading the Bible, um, I'm not much for just like telling you stories and entertaining you. No, no, no. I'm interested in you actually capturing the essence of the word in such a way that you leave here hungrier than you came in. I want you actually to grasp that this is the God that so loves you and has purpose and plans for you. And if you will daily yield your heart to him, he will show up in your life and do powerful and amazing things. So I want you to actually uh, As we digest and look at the word together, the entire um, purpose of why we gather is to actually impress upon your heart who he is so that as you walk out of here, you actually walk with King Jesus. Yeah. Otherwise, what in the world good is hanging out with a few people on Sunday morning? This is about an ongoing, active, personal, intimate relationship with King Jesus. Yeah? Okay. I'm glad y'all are interacting with me. Thank you. As you can see, I'm, come on, let's do this. All right, so we are in Exodus 4. Um, We're going to read 18 through 31. Um, And here's what we're going to basically look at. We're going to talk about um, power and authority because they're different. Did you all know that? Power is one thing. Authority is a different thing. We're looking at the life of Moses right now and the life of uh, the Israelites. Um, Then we're going to look at a really tough um, scripture that people everywhere struggle with, and it's this concept that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Does God harden hearts? We're going to ask that question. We're going to look. Then we're going to talk about uh, the church of the firstborn. That's a funny little concept that we'll, we'll open up, that, that God opens up. And because he opens it, guess what? He's God. I'm not. You're not. So we're going to talk about it. Then uh, the Lord actually, it says he moved on Moses to kill him. It's like, what does that mean? We're going to talk about that. We're not going to avoid this. And then finally it ends with this very unusual, like almost mind-boggling story of Moses' wife named Zipporah and their son that he didn't circumcise. Did, the, did that guy, that funny bald guy just say circumcise? I did. And that's the deep end. Because there is something so powerful, uh, and it in some ways is the essence of the gospel. The Apostle Paul picks up on it, the New Testament picks up on it, and it goes from Genesis to Revelation. So I actually called this message the circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart. Okay, let's go for it. Exodus 4. Uh, We're jumping in. Verse 18. Um, So remember what's just happened Somebody recap who's been here. Moses just met somebody out in the desert. Who was it? Jesus. It was. It was actually a, it was a pre-incarnate Jesus. Did you know Jesus was alive before he was born? He was. That was pre-incarnate Jesus in the bush, appeared to Moses. Um, Moses, the arrogant 40-year-old going, okay, I'm ready to um, deliver all the people. And then God takes him through 40 years in the desert. And now he's a humbled, um, some probably a depressed 80-year-old. And God says, now go deliver my people. And he says, absolutely not. Not once, not twice, not three times, not five times he argues with God. Okay, so that's where we pick up. Verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are alive. Okay, um, this is not a a main point, but I think it's worth uh, making. Um, There is a uh, discretion or a courteous discretion that Moses makes here on the bounds of truth. What are you saying, Michael? Let me tell you. 
All right, here's what I'm saying. Uh, did Moses go to Jethro and said, God just appeared to me in a burning bush? How many Christians do that? Oh, man, if I hear that, I hear that so much. God said, and God, I'm like, do you speak on behalf of the Almighty? He does. He speaks. God speaks all the time. Question is, are you listening? But you be very careful when you start slinging around, God said. And I love the humility of Moses here because he didn't march back and just go, God appeared to me in a burning bush and he's commissioned me. I am the deliverer. He could have done that, right? Did God just call him that? Yeah. He absolutely could have shown up and done that. But no, no. He goes and he just says, hey, um, father-in-law, can I return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive? And Jethro, being the gracious man that he is, says, go and I wish you well. Now, the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead, the previous Pharaoh. So Moses took his wife and sons, he had two sons, and he put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. Who else put their wife and son on a donkey and went to Egypt? Joseph. Matthew 2, if you want to read it. Matthew 2, verses 13 and 14, if you're making notes. The parallels between Moses and King Jesus are shocking. But the point here of this is actually that everything points to the coming of King Jesus. So Moses put his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and starts uh, back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Now, we talked about that a little bit last week, but the staff of God was actually a cudgel. So it means um, it had a little um, a, a bulbous thing at the end, and it was used actually to swing and hit animals or beasts or anything that was attacking the sheep. So then there would have been a crook that would have been used to um, grab sheep or, or, or hold them or shepherd them or whatever. But this was, a, um, this was a, 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 a staff that was used for the enemies of God. Interesting that that's what Moses is carrying to go back and deal with Pharaoh. So he takes the staff of uh, God in his hand, um, and the Lord says to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. The what to do? Power. power. Okay, power. We're, we're going to open this whole concept of um, power, and then we're going to also open the concept of authority, and we can't really bring it around until we get to the very end of this little chapter, which has to do with Zipporah and circumcision. That's the deal. That's where we're heading, just telling you. Okay, so uh, Moses already has power, but I'm going to begin to propose to you that he does not yet have authority. Okay? Make a note if you want. But then it says, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. Okay, so let's pause there just a minute. Um, so the Lord says to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see to it that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Okay, who thinks God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Let me start this way. Let me hang on, hang on. Let me start this way. Who thinks Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart? Okay. Who thinks God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Who thinks God's sovereign? Who thinks we have free will? Yes. All right. Now let's. Let, I'm, I'm kind of teasing you. But let's talk about that for just a second. I can count. I went through the whole thing and counted ten places um, where the Holy Spirit of God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God hardens hearts? What? 
Now, I flipped it, and then I went back through and counted all the places where, guess who it says hardened Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh. So literally, and there's different takes on this theologically, but I can count 10 places where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and I can count 10 places where it says Pharaoh um, hardened Pharaoh's heart. But what's probably more significant um, is that after the first sign and the first five plagues that we're going to read about in the chapters ahead, guess who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Guess what it says? Pharaoh. So that's the way it starts. So Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart. So God only begins to harden Pharaoh's heart after the heart is already hardened. Does that make sense? So what the Spirit of God is going to do in your life is there's options and there's opportunity, and if you close and harden your heart, he will probably push you further down that stream. And if you open your heart and yield your heart and surrender your heart to him, he's going to push you further down that stream. So you have here um, this, this really evil king that's a picture of uh, Satan. I said that, I think, on week one. But, but you have to look at this and go, okay, he's a picture of the enemy, and yet Pharaoh, even Pharaoh, has opportunity to turn and repent. Even Pharaoh. So, so what I see here as I read this is in these 10 spots, um, Pharaoh hardens his own heart again and again and again and again and again before God steps in and begins to harden it. So did Pharaoh have opportunity to turn? Yes. Did Pharaoh have opportunity to get right with Yahweh, God Almighty? Yes. Is anyone, therefore, outside of grace? No. But is there a spot at which you have traveled so far down the road, your heart has become so hard that God is going to further push you down the road? Possibly so. That's a little scary, isn't it? It's like, oh my goodness. And it's a theological thing that, that, that we sort of avoid. If you, if you studied Tozer, anybody read Tozer? He's a, he's a good read. Rob, you'd like Tozer. Um, he's, uh, one of the things that Tozer talks about is God standing um, in eternity, past, present, and future all at the same time. So in God's sovereignty, did God know the end of the story with Pharaoh? Yes. But in his graciousness, he is still going to give ample opportunity to, for Pharaoh to turn and cha- change and repent. That's the heart of God. That's the goodness of God. That's the love of God being played out just in a very practical way. So let's, let's make this kind of practical for just a second. Um, hardening of heart, what does that even mean? Uh, let's say you're going through life and somebody does something to you or says something to you and you get angry. Okay, has that ever happened to anybody? And, and let's, let's say you don't deal with it. So you don't, you don't choose um, to ask God to empower you to forgive them. So what's that anger begin to go into over time? Probably bitterness. Absolutely. And so bitterness then takes hold of your heart. Um, So now who's holding your heart, God or bitterness? Bitterness. Bitterness. And who's probably fueling the bitterness? The enemy. So it's very easy. It's easy for us to sit here and we can armchair quarterback this thing and go, can you believe Pharaoh hardened his heart against God? Listen to me. It is so easy to harden your heart. Like it is easy You get disappointed with God, you get frustrated, you just start to look at all the negative things. God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? Why isn't there breakthrough in my life? Why have you allowed this to happen or that to happen? And you can begin to look at everything, and all of a sudden, what's happening? Closing your heart to God. You're closing it and and, um, really pushing him away. I would actually say to you that probably the greatest risk in this life is that we as people and believers harden and close our own hearts to King Jesus. It's the greatest risk. 
That, that is what it means to be in deep, intimate, ongoing relationship with him is, um, is a soft and open um, and yielded heart to him. So for me, as I'm sitting over here worshiping or wherever I'm sitting on any given Sunday, guess one of the things that I'm doing in that, in that time or process. Yeah. And even saying, Holy Spirit, would you convict me? Would you open my heart? If there's an area that I'm holding on to or there's something where my heart has grown hard or cold, I choose to trust you. I choose to let it go. I choose to open my heart. I choose to forgive if I need to forgive. So it, it's this, it's this um, almost like breathing. It's this journey with Jesus. Do you do, you do this um, once and daily? Yes, you do it once when you give your life to him, but you also do it daily. If you're going to walk with the Lord Jesus, maintaining um, a heart that is yielded to him, or I use the word surrendered a lot, is absolutely vital. So let's talk about how did God harden Pharaoh's heart. Um, did God manipulate or um, reach in and change Pharaoh's actual heart? I would say no. I would say what happens here is God revealed his power. He revealed his supremacy. Or his supremacy. He revealed his love for people. He revealed his um, hatred of sin. He revealed his hatred that, that, that his people were in bondage under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh disliked all that, rejected God, and therefore closed his heart. Pharaoh in this day and age was looked at um, and, and, and uh, sort of thought of himself as a god. So just the idea that another god has entered the room was sort of um, a, a direct conflict with Pharaoh. And he would, not only would he have had to take a position of humility, he would almost have to step off of the Egyptian sort of throne to acknowledge that there was another god besides him. This was a huge ask. And yet God gave him opportunity to turn and to repent. So I think the, probably the, the best way to think of this is not that God, um, that God reached in and, and was the one that hardened Pharaoh's heart. No, 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 God was just God, and Pharaoh chose to walk where Pharaoh walked, and his heart became, or he chose consistently for it to be hardened. And then there was some point where God went, now it's time to move. And if you even look at the progression of miracles that we're going to look at next week, we're going to try to chapter a, 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 tackle a big chunk of Exodus next week, but we're going to look at, at the plagues or the, the supernatural miracles that Moses did in the eyes of, of Egypt, you actually see they start gracious. Like the discipline of God and the judgments of, of God begins pretty simple, but it ramps up and ramps up and ramps up. I would actually call that severe mercy. Have you ever experienced God's severe mercy? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, there's a chunk of my life um, that's very painful for me to think back on and look back on. And um, I, I can look back at it, and I, ex I experienced a hard heart, first of all. And then I experienced a series of, of poor choices. And as I continued to make those poor choices, the discipline of the Lord got stronger and stronger and stronger in my life. Until I hit this point where I began to go, oh my goodness, this is the severe mercy of God and he is knocking on my door. And if I don't at some point turn, it's going to get really serious. It's the same thing that is happening here. It's the graciousness of God that continues even to pursue Pharaoh and the people of God um, and even the Egyptians. But at some point when they won't listen, it's no. And then God moves. Okay, so let's keep going. We are in, um, let's see. 
Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see to, you that, see to it that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Let me point out something here. How old is Moses? 80. And a guy, a guy with him is a guy named Aaron, which is his older brother. Anybody know how old Aaron is? 83, older than 80. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> older than 80. So, so you got an 80-year-old, and you got an 83-year-old, and you got a lump of wood. Now, I'll get that a second. You got two old guys and a lump of wood, and God says, go up against the mightiest king on the face of the earth with all the armies on the face of all the chariots. You guys go in there, and you tell them to let my people go. Can you imagine the laughing stock? I'm surprised they didn't kill him immediately. So it was absolutely absurd, and Moses at some level knew it was this absurd. Okay, verse 22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord said, Israel is my firstborn son. Okay, now, we're going to get a little deeper here. Um, does anyone happen to know what the final uh, plague on Egypt was? The death of the firstborn. We're going to get to that. That's really important in terms of even the crux of the Christian faith um, in chapters 11 and 12. Okay, so from the very beginning, God says, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, um, in, I'm going to flip over, and you don't have to flip here, but I want to uh, read, a, read a thing or two, if I can find it. Um, Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So, when it says, go back to the Old Testament, Israel is my firstborn son, can you also put in there firstborn Daughter. Okay, good. You guys are keeping up with me. Very good. All right. So, firstborn daughter. Now, um, Colossians 1.18 says, and he, King Jesus, is the head of the body, which is also the church. That's right. He is the beginning, and he is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? First one to rise from the dead. Okay, that's exactly right. So that um, in everything he might have supremacy. So he's the firstborn from among the dead. Then, uh, go with me here, Hebrews 12, 23. Uh, this is probably Paul writing, but he says, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. So, is Jesus firstborn? Yes. Now, when we come to faith, let me pause that for just a second. Hebrew culture, the firstborn gets everything. Firstborn son gets everything. Uh, they're going to get all the benefits. They're going to get most of the inheritance. There's small little portions that could be given to the other kids. But usually it's even um, all given to the firstborn son, and the firstborn son could decide to give a little bit of, you know, a few crumbs away if they wanted to, right? And most of the time the firstborn said, come on, I'm firstborn. I know it. Okay, so Jesus, uh, God, says to, to um, Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, Israel is my firstborn son. So Israel is the firstborn. So basically what God is saying is all the rights of heaven, all the blessing of heaven, all the favor of heaven, all the love of heaven belong to Israel, my firstborn son. Now, his son, Jesus, comes, and Jesus is... Firstborn, that's right. And then those of us who give our hearts or lives to Jesus, we also take our place as 
firstborn. So when you begin to see this, it, it, you are actually um, the church of the firstborn, and your names are written in heaven. That's a, a book of life. That's exactly right. That's what Revelation says. But the Hebrews that I'm quoting says, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So what is beginning to happen here is um, there is this uh, sort of theological um, underpinning that says uh, you, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, and if, you're, if you've never given your life uh, to Christ in here, you can talk to me afterwards and you can start this journey. But if, if Jesus has taken up residence inside of you, you've yielded your heart to him, um, then you are part of the church of the firstborn, which means you have right and access to everything that King Jesus has right and access to. The love of God, the peace of God, the grace of God, the pursuit of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God. It goes on and on and on. You have full and unfettered access into the very kingdom of God. Do we access it most of the time? Sadly, no. I'm in the journey of attempting to access it more and inviting you to be in that same journey with me. Yeah? Okay, so immediately uh, God is going in and he is saying, Israel is my firstborn son, and he's already um, communicating. I love this about God because he never surprises anybody. You know that? He, he's always, if, if he's going to bring discipline or if he's going to bring judgment or if he's going to bring something on people, he is already going to have communicated. And so he's communicated right here from the beginning, Israel is my firstborn son, and as I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. He tells him from the very beginning. He tells him right from the beginning what he's going to do. This is a loving, gracious, kind, gentle father that is communicating, you must let my firstborn son go so that your firstborn son is not lost. It's heavy. Like, it is absolutely heavy to even get your head around this, but this is, um, this is who King Jesus is. This is who God is. So Israel is my firstborn son. <clears throat> okay, let's keep going. Verse 23, and I told you, uh, let my son go so that he may go worship me. I think I read that. Verse 24, now here's where, it, this is unusual. At a lodging place on the way, so where's Moses going? Egypt, that's right, and he's hanging out, and Zipporah and the kids are riding on the, that's right, you're getting it, so they're camping, and it's hot, the air conditioner is out in our upstairs right now, and it's like 88 degrees, and that, that's about what they're, you know, they're camping in that same thing in the desert, so it's, it's surly, um, and then it says, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. That's hard to read, isn't it? That's hard to read. Let's, before we read verse 25, let's, let's just talk about this for just a minute. <clears throat> I would actually propose to you, based on what the scripture says, so if you go all the way back up to verse 21, um, perform the, the, um, before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. God has released on Moses power. He has not yet released on Moses authority. And there's a difference here because I think authority... Um, has to do with fully going in and representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what is, is very clear from Genesis to Revelation, this is beyond being saved, being in Jesus. This has to do with actually being commissioned and entrusted by him now to lead his people. Okay? So um, there is uh, the, the difference probably between power and authority. I, I dug back and, and there's a guy named John Wimber. Y'all ever heard of John Wimber? 
I like John Wimber. But there's a, he, he said a thing that was fascinating to me. He said he likened the difference between power and authority in the scripture um, to a policeman. And he would say that the policeman's gun was, guess what, his power. That's right. But the badge is the... Okay, so Moses has in some way been given um, power... Um, and I was even thinking of, of a judge sitting in court. So um, think of a judge sitting in court. A, a judge in court um, has a who next to him with a gun on their hip? A sheriff or a bailiff, I think is what it's called. And, and the judge has to issue, um, he's going to hear everything, and then he's going to wrap that gavel, and he's going to issue some kind of um, statement or edict or decision, and then that has the authority of the state behind it. Does that make sense? So um, there is a huge difference between wielding power um, and actually wielding authority. And I think as people, something that I actually want and am even praying for us as a church is that we'd be a church who both operates in power and in authority. So at some level, I heard somebody else liken um, power to catching a wave and being able to ride it. But authority has to do with participating with God and speaking so that the wave is created. What are you saying, Michael? No, think about it. Moses is walking into the presence of God. He's a know-nothing sheep herder. I'm a landscaper. That makes me feel good. He's a know-nothing sheep herder. He's wearing some old tattered whatever garment, and he probably has a big beard like Kyle over here, and big hair, and he walks in, and he has to speak in authority to let my people go. Now go with me here. So the access point to authority in your life is actually... um, walking with the Lord Jesus in companionship and participating with him in obedience. Okay? Um, So what is happening, and give you a little background on this, verse 24, at a lodging place, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Um, Back in Genesis 17, I'll read it quickly because it's it's worth making a note of and reading if you want to. Genesis 17, verses 9 through 11 or 12, um, it's the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Here it goes. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. What's a covenant? A promise. That's exactly right. You and your descendants and uh, after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and this will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. Does Moses know this? Yes. Yes. Has he circumcised his son at this point? No, that's what's happening here. Now, let me, let me just switch the analogy. What is that? Go a little further. That's my wedding band. I'm married to Abby right here. Am I still married? So what is this? It's a symbol. It's a sign. That's exactly right. What is circumcision? Okay, hang on that one because we're going to keep going. So at the lodging place, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, and she gets a terrible rap here by a lot of theologians, and I actually disagree with most of them. 
Um, but Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. This is graphic, and I told you this was a tough chapter to deal with. I could paint that picture, but hopefully you can just take it and go with it, okay? <laughs> Thank you. And then she says, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, so the Lord let Moses alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. So this is what appears um, to me to be happening here, is Moses, for whatever reason, disobeyed God. And we don't know why. It's, it's not crystal clear. But Zipporah, um, whatever was happening to Moses, he's deathly ill. Zipporah uh, wisely is able to um, sort of look and see what is happening. Um, and, and she is actually to ask, sort of a, able to ascertain and understand why it's happening and then get to the root of it. And so she circumcises their son and then touches Moses' feet with it. Now, go here uh, with me for just a minute. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.16 circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Now remember, go back, I read you uh, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or... Okay, does this apply to you females? Yes, okay, let's keep going. So uh, Deuteronomy 10.16, make a note, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, where my wrath will flare up and burn like the fire. Romans 4, 9 through 12, this is Paul writing, is this blessedness only for the circumcised, the Jews, or is it also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him Uh, as righteousness, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Who knows? It was before. So Paul's saying it's it's merely a sign. Am I still married? Yes. So what actually begins to unfold in the New Testament church, and I'm not going to dig you all through it, but after Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles are leading the New Testament church in Acts, and there's this big frou-frou because there's a group of them that want to say, well, all you who are coming to Jesus have to go get circumcised. And so there's this big meeting and all the apostles get together and Paul's actually leading it. I love Paul. And he's like, no, no, y'all are all wrong. Because see, Moses was justified and it was credited to him as righteousness before he was circumcised. It was just a sign. So it's not about the external circumcision. It's now about the circumcision of the... And that applies to both men and... Okay, here is the essence and the crux in many ways of this Christian faith. Is it is when you come to Jesus, when you yield yourself to Jesus, uh, he comes in and he's actually going to cut part of your heart, your flesh, that negative part away, and he's going to separate it from you. Is that a one-time thing? Yes. Is it a daily thing? Yes. It, it, it requires, and it is painful. That's the analogy. Is this a difficult, challenging thing? Yes. It can be painful. Colossians 2, 9 through 12. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Does that include Pharaoh? Yes. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Circumcision of the heart. Okay. I think what's happening here is Zipporah wisely recognizes what's going on. Tell you a funny story to lighten this for just a second. 
Abby and I celebrated our 10th anniversary, and for, for the day, we took our kids and went over to Masonboro. Pulled the boat up. I've been to Masonboro hundreds of times, literally. I grew up surfing there. I've spent so much time over there, it's not even fun. But we pull up, um, and I threw the front anchor out, backed our boat in, and I'm getting ready to jump out. And Abby says, you're going to get stuck in the mud. I said, no, I'm not. You know how many times I've done this? <laughs> it's, it's like one foot of water behind the boat, you know. It's really shallow. And uh, she said, you're going to get stuck in the mud. What? And she said, you're going to lose your flip-flops. I handed me Ezra, so she handed me Ezra, our youngest, and I stepped in the mud. And it was only a foot, and I went down a foot, and then guess what happened? I kept going. You know how deep I went in the mud? To my knees. I was knee-deep in the mud, and then the water was a foot above that, and I'm holding Ezra. And she's smiling at me, and she said, what's happening? (laughs) And I said, you're never going to believe it. I'm stuck in the... I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there like, oh, Lord. So I pull one of my uh, legs out, and I reach down. I'm holding Ezra out of the water. I reach down, I grab my flip-flop, and I start pulling it up, and guess what happens? It breaks! And at that point, I just went, oh, well, and stepped out of my other flip-flop, which is buried over in the mud at Masonboro, two feet down, and hopefully it'll decompose and everything will be all right because I couldn't fish it out anyway. I'm being silly, but I want you to get something here. Frequently, the person that God has paired us with or matched us with is able to see things in our lives that we can't see. You hear me? It could be a spouse, it could be a roommate, it could be a good friend if you're single, but frequently God is going to pair you with people and you may have to check your pride at the door and begin to actually listen. Am I suggesting Moses was proud and disobeyed? I am. He did. And Zipporah goes, oh my goodness, I see what the problem is. God's about to kill my husband. I'm going to do what he failed to do, and then I'm going to symbolically touch him with it to associate him with the act, and then boom. God's power on Moses lifted, and he lived. A lot of, a lot of people give Zipporah a bad rap, but I think even her declaration here, you're a bridegroom of blood to me, I think what she's actually saying is, oh my goodness, my husband has returned. You lived. I get to continue to live with you. This is, it's, I think it's a beautiful declaration of her love for him. So let's keep going. Then the Lord, um, so the Lord let him alone. And at that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So Moses, uh, so he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses said to Aaron, everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Two old guys and a hunk of... Don't tell me God can't use you. Yeah, don't tell me. He can't use you. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and, and uh, Aaron told them everything, because who's not going to speak? If you were here, Moses, that's right. Um, and he performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them. This is really beautiful. Hear this. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, they didn't believe that. Didn't believe the Lord was concerned about them. And that the Lord had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped him. Some of you probably need to hear that today. The Lord's concerned about you. He's seen your misery. He understands your pain. And he wants to deliver you from it.
as a church, God has called us to heart circumcision. As a people, if you're in Jesus, and I at points chafe against some of what I hear preached, not just around this nation, but around all the nations, around the gospel, because there is a part of the Christian, Christian relationship with Jesus that you yield your heart, you yield your life, you surrender your life, and in doing so, he comes in and he circumcises your heart. Do you have, at that point, as you are part of the church of the firstborn, access to all the blessing and kindness and graciousness and favor of God? Yes. Does it come before or after the circumcision? When you give your heart to King Jesus, you're beginning a journey where he is actively beginning to remove that fleshly part of your heart. Does that make sense? Think of Jesus before he went to the cross. He stopped in a little garden. Remember what that was called? Yeah, Gethsemane. Thank you. Golgotha was the hill. (laughs) He stopped in a garden called Gethsemane. And he wrestled there. And he went, God, your will, not my will. Same thing. Same thing. If you want to experience the power of Jesus in your life, if you want to experience the authority of Jesus in your life, if you want to experience the blessing of Jesus in your life, the presence of Jesus in your life, the joy of the Lord in your life, this is part of what's required. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Hard message, huh? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we still our hearts and our minds before you, and Lord, we acknowledge that you are King and you are Lord. Father, I'm guessing in this room and perhaps even the people watching online or listening later, there are things in their life that they may recognize as you actively circumcising their hearts. And Father, I want to pray over every person in this space and this place that you would take us into the deepest levels of knowing and being known by you. Come on, say amen. Father, I pray as a church that we would be a people who yield our hearts to you, who surrender our hearts to you. And Father, I pray we'd also be a people who receive your commissioning like Moses did. Father, some of us in the room have given up that you could even use us, given up that you could even purpose us, given up that it's over, it's too late. And Father, I want to say it's not too late. You're the gracious God who pursues and calls and loves. Church, as we close, I want to invite you, just in the quietness of your own heart, there's a spot that you're going, God, I think you are circumcising that spot. You're cutting it off. You're taking it away. I want you to yield your heart to him and invite him to fill you more fully that you could walk with him more completely, that you could know his love, 
and love him in response. Father, as we go from this place, would you allow us to drink deeply of your word? Father, would you allow us to be a people who is so committed to following you? Father, would you give us ears to hear the people like Zipporah that you've planted around us? Father, would you give us eyes to see the purposes to which you've called us? Lord, would your redemptive work be present in our lives? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.